All right, Matthew chapter 4. In the previous chapter, we saw Jesus', Jesus identification. We saw him identify with sinners through baptism. Today, we're going to see his testing or his temptation in the wilderness. It's important to remember Jesus was tempted in all ways, just like we are tempted. And I want you to follow along with me as I read the first 11 verses of chapter 4, and then we'll dive into them. Chapter 4, verse 1 of Matthew. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, Well, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came, and they ministered to him. Many commentators believe that it is improper to refer to this section of Scripture as the temptation of Jesus. And they would point to the Greek word there that's used as temptation. And they would, re- they would let you know that more often than not it's referred to as the testing of Jesus. The testing is a more accurate translation instead of temptation. For our stakes this evening, we're going to leave this argument to the scholars and the seminary students. I'm going to use those words interchangeably. I'm going to use them synonymously. The tempting of Jesus or the testing of Jesus. I'm going to refer to both of them. I mean the same thing. In this section of scripture, we saw three three separate testings of Jesus. Each of these temptations are the exact same way that we are tempted also. He was tempted in the same way that we are. You and I get tempted as Christians and he got tempted also. We may not be fasting for 40 days in the wilderness and But the strategy of the enemy is going to remain the same. The way that he's going to approach you and tempt you is the same thing that we're going to see played out for us in the scriptures tonight. And the prescription for victory is exactly the same also. Jesus was victorious and we're going to outline and describe in great detail his prescription that he followed. If you struggle with temptation, if your Christian walk is often littered with failure after failure, when you leave here tonight, you're going to have the enemy's battle plans in your hand. You're going to know what to expect from the enemy and want, and you're going to have that battle plan. It's going to be clear to you. In the other hand, you're going to have the plans of victory. You're going to know how to overcome temptation successfully. You're going to to have the defense strategies that you need. You'll know how the enemy is going to attack, and you'll know how you're supposed to respond to be victorious. This is all laid out for us in these verses. Look at verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. The first thing I noticed there is Jesus was led by the Spirit. It was led, he wasn't doing anything wrong. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And it makes me ask the question, why would the Holy Spirit lead Jesus into temptation or testing? 
Well, oftentimes you and I are tempted or tested to show what's inside of us. It's to reveal what's really inside of our heart. It's to show us, to show us what's inside. The Lord already knows what's inside of us. He doesn't need to see it. We need to see it. We can often, well, we, we're not very good judges of ourselves. Sometimes we judge too highly of ourselves, and sometimes we think too lowly of ourselves. But our temptations, our trials, our testings, those will show us what's really inside of us. Well, Jesus was sinless. He didn't need to know what was inside of him. But he did need to identify with us. He had to be tempted in all ways, just like we were. He needed to endure temptation, just like we do. And he needed to demonstrate to us. He needed to show us what was inside of him. You see, that's what it was all about. He was going to be tempted in the same way we are. Only we fail, he didn't. And he's going to show us his holiness. He's going to show us how he overcame temptation. So Jesus endured temptation, really, for two reasons. One is to identify with us, and the other is so that we could see his holy and sinless character, so that we could see what's inside of him. It's also important, I think, to note the Holy Spirit is not the one who did the tempting. The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness, but he's not the one who tempted him. James chapter 1, verse 13 says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Temptation is certain for everyone, for all of us. It's, it's clear. It, it, let me ask you this. Do you guys get tempted? Of course you do. Is there testing in your life? Is there trials? Absolutely there are. Is, you would be foolish to think that you're not going to be tempted. It, it would be a ludicrous thought. But notice something. Jesus was tempted by Satan himself. By Satan himself. The evil one, Satan, Lucifer. Satan is not omnipresent like the Lord. He cannot be in all places and all at the same time like God can. He can only be in one place at one time. And sometimes we even refer to ourselves as, well, Satan's tempting me. Satan's pursuing me. Satan's really chasing me. It's probably not really Satan. Why would I say that? Because he's probably pursuing somebody more important than you. For most of us, including myself. I think Satan's pulling strings in, in much higher places behind leading and directing people much greater than myself or yourself. He can't be everywhere. I suspect he's busy with people who can do more damage to the believers in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I suppose he wants to take as many people down as he can. He wants to destroy everybody he can. And he's not necessarily interested in just you or I. But that doesn't mean that it, his, his minions or his, 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 his spirits, the, 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 uh, the demons aren't coming after you. That doesn't mean that at all. But don't think for a moment. Don't, it would almost be kind of prideful to think, well, Satan's chasing me. Why would Satan chase you? Well, he wouldn't. That's just my thoughts on it. So here's Jesus. He's been fasting in the desert. It's been 40 days. He's hungry. By the way, his hunger speaks to his physical condition. If you ever fasted for any period of time, you know hunger sets in very early. I've never done a 40-day pa pa fast, but I can tell you that after about the second day of fasting, the hunger goes away. By the time you hit day three and even into day four, you're not as hungry as you were on day two and the end of day one and the beginning of day two. It's not like, uh, you know, we often use that word, I'm hungry, I'm starving. Remember when you were a kid, Mom, I'm starving to death. No, you're not. You just skipped the meal. You're an hour late for your meal and we're starving to death. That's not, that's not it. Jesus' physical condition was he was hungry. He hadn't eaten in 40 days. I imagine he was weak. It wasn't like he was just an hour late for lunch. 40 days is a long time to go without food. I know people who have fasted for 40 days. 
I know by the end of that 40 days, they've explained it and they've shared it with me, how, how, how weak they are and, and how it's, it's a situation where they're relying on the strength of the Lord to even keep them pursuing, keep them moving. This type of fast, that, that length of a fast goes beyond like a spiritual pride thing. Oh, I fasted for a day or I, I skipped a meal. You can, by the time you fast for 40 days, you are all in. You have overcome the flesh if you make it 40 days. You, you have told your flesh no. It goes beyond like some spiritual pride and it builds a sustaining dependence upon the Lord. It, it's something where you tell your body, no, I am not going to eat. Your body is going to reject that, isn't it? What, is, what happens if you miss a meal? Oh, I get a headache. Oh, my blood sugar drops. Oh, I can't do it. I, I can't make it. I, I feel bad. Well, that's what your body's telling you. I want to eat. I want to eat. But let me also say this. I believe that if you're to do a fast like this, like a 40-day fast, you should be called to do it. I don't think it's something you should just decide out of the blue. Go, I think I'm going to fast for 40 days. That'd be a cool thing to do. I think it should be something where there's a reason for it, a specific reason, and you need to be called by the Lord to do it. It's something he's going to lead you to do. Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. He was led to do this. I don't think we should just decide this would be a good spiritual thing to do. That'd be spiritual pride. Well, I want to be more spiritual than the person next to me, so therefore I'm going to fast longer than they've ever fasted. That's not the right reason. The right reason is to hear from the Lord. If I believed the Lord was calling me to a 40-day fast, I would do it. I certainly would do it. Now let's look at this first temptation as Matthew records it for us in verse 3. It says, Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's not a matter of if the tempter will come to you. It's not a matter of if you're going to endure temptation. It's a matter of when you will endure temptations. As Christians, we will be tempted. We can all affirm that. It's also important that Temptation, to remember this, temptation doesn't equal sin. Just because you're tempted doesn't mean you've sinned. Sin comes out of your response to temptation. Uh, Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, God had one son without sin, but he never had a son without temptation. God had one son without sin, but he never had a son without temptation. Temptation is something that you should expect. You should be on guard for it. You should be aware of it. Your, your little antennas should be up. Your spider senses should be tingling. You should know that when you wake up tomorrow morning or before you go to bed tonight or whenever you're in certain circumstances or situations, temptations will, temptation will be there. It's going to happen. You should expect it. Notice the first sentence or the first statement Satan makes. What did he say? If you are the son of God. If you're the son of God. He makes the same statement again in verse 6. His first line of attack is an attempt to get Jesus to question his identity. If you're the son of God. If you're the son of God. If you are the son of God. At his baptism, what did God say about Jesus? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But yet here we are. And now the question of the identity has been brought up. If you are the son of God. If you are the son of God. As if he might not be the son of God. Do you see the hint of doubt he's trying to cast? If you're the son of God, then fix this problem before you. Turn, the, turn, this, turn these stones into bread. Or perhaps he was even saying, as some would suggest, since you are the son of God, 
turn these stones into bread. You've got the power to do it. You've got the ability to do it. You're hungry. Why don't you, why are you going hungry? Just command these rocks to turn to bread. Eat them and you'll feel much better. Your, your body will have exactly what it wants and you'll feel much better. I believe that oftentimes in our lives, Satan's first line of attack against you and I is to try to get you to doubt your identity in Christ. He wants you to doubt your identity on who you really are. He's going to say things to you like, if you're a Christian, are you think you're really a Christian because you're thinking that way? A real Christian wouldn't act like that. Oh, somebody really following the Lord Jesus wouldn't behave or even think that way. Hmm. He wants to try to get us to a doubt who we are in Christ. Are you confident of who you are in Christ? And do you know where that comes from? From the scriptures that tell us who we are in Christ. We must recognize that Satan is trying to send us into an identity crisis. He wants to isolate you. He wants you to pull you away from church. Have you ever noticed that sometimes the first thing that happens when he wants to pull people away is that they stop coming to church? You'll stop seeing somebody for a while and they start to slip away. They begin to get farther and farther away. Then Satan begins to whisper more and more lies to them. You're not really a Christian. A Christian wouldn't miss church that much. You're not really a Christian. A Christian wouldn't think like that. You're not really a Christian. A Christian wouldn't be depressed. Are Christians depressed? Have you ever read the Psalms? Did you, have you ever looked at the life of David? What about Elijah? Have you ever, have you ever seen that? I mean, yes, it's, it, those, are, those are real things that people go through. When the enemy comes to tempt you, remind him that you belong to Jesus Christ. Remind him that you're a child of the king. You were bought by the blood of the lamb. You identify it. Your identity is in the cross of Christ. You were sanctified, justified, and you're waiting to be glorified with him forever. Remind him who you are in Christ. That comes from the word of God. That comes from the word. Now look what he says. When the tempter came, he said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This was a temptation to use God's gifts for selfish purposes. Satan suggested that Jesus uses his, you, why don't you just use your miraculous powers to provide food for yourself? After all, God wouldn't want you to go hungry, would he? What if Jesus had thought or considered what Satan had said? What if he really gave it some thought? Could he justify it? Sure he could. That's right. I'm the son of God. Certainly my fasting in the Lord is good, but why should I continue to be hungry? It appears as though my fasting is over. I can just, I can just make some bread here. I can just feed my flesh. I can eat it. Nobody will know the difference. What's the big deal? It's not like I'm asking for money or worldly possessions. It's just, it's just a basic need. It's just food. I mean, it's just something I need. Would God really want somebody to go hungry for a season? Maybe. Maybe if he's trying to teach you something. Maybe if he's, if he's, if he's using it in your life for something. Maybe he wants to show you the power that you have over your flesh. Satan was trying to, re, trying to get Jesus to respond to his flesh. And rather than and rely on his own abilities instead of the Lord's provision. You see, he wanted him to respond to his flesh. He wanted to reach out. The flesh is craving something, so just go ahead and give the flesh what it wants. So rather than going to the Lord and saying, Lord, I want your provision. I want what you have for me. I want you to provide for me. He goes, no, no, I'm going to use my power, my strength, my ability to give my body what I think my body needs. Instead, he should, instead Jesus doesn't do that. He waits on the Lord. Let's us know Satan's tricky. 
He's sneaky, isn't he? He asked Jesus to prove that he was the son of God by caring for his own needs. You're hungry, Jesus, just eat. Just eat, it's your own needs. But if Satan had responded, or if Jesus had responded the way Satan wanted to him, what would he have really proved? That he wasn't the son of God. Think about that. Satan says, prove to me you're the son of God by providing for your own fleshly needs. And if Jesus had done that, then he would have proven that he wasn't the son of God because the son of God would always do the will of God and the will of the Father. You see how Satan's twisting it? He's, he's trying to twist and he's trying to convince him. And you can imagine what it would be like if you haven't eaten for 40 days and all of a sudden you're talking about loaves of bread. It'd be tough. He's tricky. I can't help but wonder if that's the same kind of temptation Jesus experienced on his way to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. I can't help but wonder if that's the same temptation he experienced on the cross. Every time I've watched the movie of Passion of the Christ, I keep waiting for him to come off the cross and kill everybody. That's what I would have done. I'd have had enough. That would, I would have only taken it so far. I'd have just Everyone would have died. That would have been it. Problem solved. But facing hunger and temptation, Jesus responded how? By quoting scripture. Quote, 40 days without eating, the tempter, Satan himself, who's the master of manipulation, the father of all lies, can twist something around and Jesus defeats him with scripture quoting the scriptures to him, quoting the Bible. He didn't use logic. He didn't use reason. He quoted the word of God. Just simply quoted the word of God. He quoted Deuteronomy chapter 8. Let me read it to you in its entirety. I'm going to start in verse 2 and read verses 2 and 3 to you. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness, speaking of the Israelites, to humble you, and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. The hunger that Jesus felt represents our human flesh, our human wants, our human desires. The Apostle Paul, John would refer to this as the lust of the flesh. Hunger is a basic and perhaps the strongest desire of your flesh. It's one thing that's going to draw you. It's, it's, you know, I, I always say it, addictions to food are always more difficult because you know what? You have to keep eating. When you quit a drug addiction, you quit the drug. When you quit, if there's a food addiction, you have to keep eating. You just have to limit what you eat. You have to take in the amount of food. It's the strongest desire of your flesh. If you miss a meal, doesn't your body let you know? It's, your stomach starts growling. You start getting, what is it, hangry. Is it hangry? Cranky and angry and hungry together makes you hangry. Yeah, that's what happens. You start getting cranky and hungry. The thought of not eating for 40 days is, is incomprehensible. You, I couldn't even not eat for 40 hours. Couldn't even eat, can't even eat for, without 40 minutes. Listen, if you can tell your body no to food for multiple days, you can tell your body no to anything. If you can control the, the lust of the flesh to eat, the basic need to eat, you can control anything. You can tell your body no. If you ever choose to fast, this is the same scripture you should go back to when you get hungry. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
Because if you choose to fast and you feel, and, I, and it, the Bible tells us to fast, to draw closer to God, to put away our flesh so we can get, hear from him. If you do that, you're going to get hungry. When you get hungry, this is where you go back to. I'm not living by bread alone. My life doesn't, isn't contained in the next meal I eat. My life is contained in God. He's the author and finisher of my life and my faith. He's the one that decides when my life ends, not the next meal that I need. You see, that's what he's trying to show us there. Think about, think about what Jesus could have done. I like to think, if I was Jesus, what, what options do I have here? Here he is, he's in the desert, he's hungry, he's facing temptation. How, how would I have handled this? What could you have done? I think I just would have removed the temptation. I would have, I would have banned Satan, to, I would have created another galaxy, and I would have just sent Satan off to another galaxy, I never had to deal with him again. Problem solved, done. No more problems, Issues, issue solved, gone. He didn't do that. He could have succumbed to the temptation. I'm glad he didn't. I'm glad he didn't. He could have succumbed to the temptation, just made bread and ate. He could have just cast Satan into outer darkness at that moment, into into hell. That's it, we're done. He could have just gotten rid of the problem altogether. I'm glad he didn't do that either. Instead, he chose to go through the temptation. He endured the temptation. Oftentimes we say, Lord, take it away. Lord, just get rid of it. Lord says, no, no, I'm the one that brought you this way. I, there's, there's something I need to show you about yourself. There's something I, you need to learn. No, Lord, take this problem away. No, no, I want to walk you through it. I've given you my word to empower you, and now I want to I I show you what it's like to go through it. I want to be there with you. He wants you to go through the temptation, endure the temptation. And notice Jesus went through it as a man, relying on the same things that we have available to us. What was he relying on? The Word of God and the Holy Spirit. That's what he was relying on. Same thing that's available to us. He overcame the temptation by the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. I like the way one commentator wrote it. He said this, Jesus pulls the sword of the Spirit from its sheath and he slays the devil with God's written Word. The Bible is a powerful weapon against Satan. Study it, apply it, and then use it against the devil. The lesson is simple. If you want to effectively resist temptation the same way Jesus did, by countering Satan's seductive lies, by shining the light of God's truth upon them. That's how you overcome the temptation, is shining the word of God into it. But here's the problem. If you're ignorant of God's word, if you don't know the word of God, if you don't know the truth, then we're poorly armed in the fight against Satan. You're fighting with a broken sword. You're, you're fighting with a weapon you don't know how to use. What good would a gun do you if you don't know how to shoot it or use it or, or you're not trained properly with it? The word of God is the same thing. I've got to understand it. I've got to know it. I've got to memorize it. I've got to put it in my heart. I've got to be able to recall it. I've got to know when I need to pull it out, when I need to use it, when I need to apply it to the situation. Let's look at the second temptation there in verse 5. Then the devil took him up into the holy city set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. He quotes the word of God to him. Look. He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus responds in verse 7, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. 
Satan takes Jesus up to the top of the temple. Some think it was a vision. Some think he was really there. What difference does it really make? And he says, if you're the son of God, again, the identity, if you really are who you say you are, prove it. If, you, if you're a Christian, prove it. If you're really the son of God, prove it. Throw yourself down. And then, then Satan turns to scripture. He turns to the Bible itself. He begins quoting. He quotes the scripture. He quotes the Bible to Jesus. Can you believe Satan knows what the Bible says? Can you believe that? You'd better believe it. Because he knows it better than you do. I believe he's memorized it. I believe he knows every word of it. I believe it's on the tip of his tongue. And he will twist it. And he will have someone else twist it. And he will twist it in everybody's ear that will listen. And the only way you're going to counteract that is to know what it really says. I believe he knows it better than we know it. It's imperative that we understand the word of God and how to apply it to our lives. When someone misquotes the truth of God's word, you should notice. There should be a little thing. Wait, 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 wait. that doesn't sound right. There's something, no, no, you, you left a part out. You missed something. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. But how do we hear that quoted? All things work together for good. No, no, no. To those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. When someone says all things work together for good, no, 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 that, you didn't finish the verse. I can use that to comfort anybody in any situation. But that's not what the word of God says. It says to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Satan quotes two verses from Psalm 91. Psalm 91, great psalm. If you've never read it, you've got to go back and read it. Fantastic psalm. It's a wonderful psalm. It's about abiding in the presence of God. Let's turn there, actually, Psalm 91. Let's see where he's quoting from. Let's see what the mistake that he makes is. Psalm 91. He's going to take scripture out of context. He's going to leave a part out. I'm going to start reading in verse 9, and I'm going to read down to verse 16. Psalm 91, verse 9, he says this. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me. Therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will, with long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. The devil's suggestion was an artificially created crisis. He had him on the top. He said, throw yourself off. And the Bible says that, the, that you're not even going to dash your foot against it. You're not even going to stub your toe. It's an artificially created situation. Not one of trusting God in the situations which results from obedient service. This is a temptation. Satan tempted Jesus to force the Father into a supernatural event. There was no need for him to jump off the high pinnacle wherever he was. There was no need for that. But Satan's tempting him. He's trying to force the hand of God. Go ahead, Jesus. If you jump, the Bible promises the angels will come save you. Go ahead, show us. Show us. Wouldn't that be cool? We would all like to see that. Then everyone would believe who you are. Everyone, I'm certainly everyone would believe that. I mean, that would be so cool if you just jump and all of a sudden the angels swoop down and pick you up and set you down where you're supposed to be. Everyone that's watching will see that. And they'll know the, who you are. 
artificially created crisis in, att- in an attempt to see the Lord work supernaturally. You ever done that? You ever tried to create something that, and you just want the Lord to do something? Like, Lord, if you're here, will you, will you, you know, make that tree shake or make that rock move or do these things? We can, we, if we're not careful, we can do that. We all desire to see God work supernaturally, but we can't force it or, or try to force him into a situation where he does that. Where God must respond if we do, that's called tempting the Lord. You're trying to put your will into him. You're trying to have him respond the way you want him to, to pr- somehow, somehow as if you're owed for him to prove to you who, who he is. Lord, if you do this, then I'll believe. And he goes, no, you won't. You'll forget about that next week. You'll forget about that next month. It won't even take that long. You won't even remember tomorrow if I was to do that. Let's turn back to Matthew and see how Jesus responds. Verse 7. Jesus said to him, It is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, Jesus responds with the word of God. The written word of God. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, Satan borrowed our Lord's weapon. And he said, it is written. But he did not use the sword lawfully. It was not in the nature of the false fiend to quote correctly. He left out the necessary words in all thy ways. You see, when Satan quoted to Jesus, he left out those words in all thy ways. In all thy ways. In the Lord's ways. Thus he made the promise say what in truth it never suggested. The promise was if you're abiding in the Lord, all of these things, nothing's going to come against you when you're abiding in Christ. But the moment you step out of that, there's no promise anymore. The moment you're walking in, in rebellion, there's no promise. You see, Satan had quoted part of verse 91, chapter Psalm 91.11, but he left out the part that says to keep you in all your ways. God had never promised or given the protection of angels in sinful, rebellious, or forbidden ways. doesn't mean he won't protect you in those things, but it's, that's not what the promise is saying. You're doing something you're not supposed to be doing, something outside of the Lord's ways. Don't blame God if it doesn't respond, if He doesn't respond the way that you think He should. You've stepped out of His will and gone off to do your own thing. It's not, it's not you doing His will. But here's the catch. If Jesus didn't understand the whole counsel of God, if He didn't know it, just like if we don't know it, He would have never known Satan was twisting it. He'd have never realized that there's a verse forgotten. Jesus knew how to rightly divide the word of truth. And sadly, today, and even many days before, many people are willing to believe anyone who quotes from the Bible. You don't have to look very far in our culture to find the Bible being misquoted. Just turn on the TV some afternoon. Turn it on late at night. Walk into many different churches, and you'll see the Bible being misquoted. You'll you'll find it being twisted. A preacher can pretty much say whatever he wants if he quotes a few proof texts. Just sprinkle some Bible verses in there and people will assume that he really speaks from the Bible. They'll assume that it must be true. There's a Bible verse in front of it or behind it. It's important for each of us as Christians to know the Bible for ourselves. You've got to know what the Bible says. Don't take my word for it. Study like the Bereans. The reason we study chapter by chapter and verse by verse is so you can follow along. I'll show you where there's differences of opinions and differences of beliefs. I'll point it out to you and you can choose what you believe. But if you don't study it in context, you have no no, no hope of ever understanding what it really says or what it really means. It's important for each of us to know the Bible ourselves. 
Otherwise, we're going to be deceived by someone who quotes it improperly. Someone who twists it, who is not accurate with the scriptures, or even with the correct application. You see, that's what was happening as he tried to apply it. Jesus, just jump off and, the Lord, and God will save you. It's not the right application of that scripture. That's not what it's meant for. It had nothing to do with that. If we don't know the word of God, we are at risk. We are at risk of having Satan twist it, and you might even believe it. Let's look at the third test, verse 8. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall not worship the Lord, or you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. I think it's interesting that Jesus does not tell Satan the, kingdom, the kingdoms of the world don't belong to him. He doesn't point out the fact, he never challenges Satan's claim to be in control over the worldly kingdoms. He doesn't say, no, they're not. You see, Satan has authority over this world and its governments. Jesus came to redeem the earth and the world and the people. Perhaps Satan is trying to offer Jesus an alternative to the cross. This is why you're here. Let me just give it to you up front. If you'll just worship me, you can have everything that you want. I'll redeem it to you right now. You can have it back. Just give me what I want. What was it that he wanted? Worship. He wanted to be like God, remember? That's what, that's what he was thrown out of heaven for. Worship. Satan wants to be like God and be worshipped. That's the one thing that he wants. I'll give you everything you want, Jesus, if you will just bow down and worship me. How many people would accept that offer? I'll give you everything that you want. You name it. You, whatever it is that you want on this earth, I will give it to you. If you will bow down and worship me. Anything. Money. Fame. Cars, big houses, whatever, anything you want, popularity, anything. You want to be a star, husband, wife, looks, I'll give it all to you, whatever you want. If you'll just bow down and worship. How many people would, would say, I'll do it? People do it every day, don't they? Every day people exchange it for that. Every day people do it. Satan has authority over this world. Jesus never debates that with them. Isaiah chapter 14 tells us a little bit about the fall of Satan. It says this, For you have said in your heart, speak, this is Satan speaking here, For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation of the farthest sides of the north, I will ascend above the highest clouds, I will be like the Most High. He wants to be like God. You see, in the beginning, the earth was given to Adam, and it was perfect. It was perfect. There was no sin, no death, no sickness, no evil whatsoever. And all Adam and Eve had to do was just not eat of this one tree. Everything else is yours. Just go ahead and enjoy. Eat all you want. And if Adam had never sinned, there'd be no need for a Savior. There'd be no need for Jesus to come die on a cross and redeem the world. We'd still be living today in the Garden of Eden. But Adam sinned. And when he did, he turned the world over to Satan. It became his dominion. And since we're Adam's descendants, we continue to sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 tells us that God is allowing Satan to function as the God of this age. Somehow in God's sovereignty, there's a purpose for it. So when you look out at the sinful world, don't blame God. 
When God gave the world to man, it was perfect. There was no sin. There was no evil. There was no children getting harmed. There was no death. None of that. It was man that brought that in by our choices to sin and giving Satan control over what was good. And now it's falling apart. But don't forget that Christ has made a way out. He's redeemed mankind. He's gone to the cross. Never forget that God is still in control over all things, but he's allowing this for a season. God's still in control. Although he watches Satan do what he's going to do, it's all part of God's sovereign plan that I don't think we can begin to wrap our minds around. As much as we try. But understand, no matter how complex, no no matter how evil, God has redeemed mankind for those who want to be redeemed. He's gone to the cross. You say, I can't take it anymore. I can't live anymore. I can't do it. Believe on Jesus Christ and you're out. It it, it takes care of it. Your sin is no longer held against you. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus responds to Satan by saying this. What's he say? Away with you. Away with you, Satan. For it is written. For it is written. Third time, for it is written. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Again, Jesus says it is written. Again, Jesus responds with the word of God. Do you see the pattern? Do you see the power? Why wouldn't we use it more than we do? If you see the pattern, you see the power, why not put it on? Why not use it? Put it to the test. It'll work. I guarantee you it'll work. But notice he also commands Satan to leave. Get out of here, Satan. Be gone with you. Can you do that? Can we tell him to leave? If so, will he listen? James chapter 4 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Well, how long does that take? How long will the temptation last? Listen, the word of God has the power to quench, temp- quench the temptation. It's not, it, it, the power is in the word of God. It's not in a cross hanging on someone's neck. It's not in a religion. It's not in a prayer from a pastor. It's in the word of God. That's the secret. That's the power. That this, is the, this book contains all the power that you need to overcome temptation in your life. Not, not, nothing else. But how long will that temptation last? How, long, how much do I have to in, endure? It doesn't really matter. No matter how long it lasts, you have the power to endure it. Keep keep speaking the word of God. It's the word of God that overthrows Satan. Use the word of God to help you resist Satan in your times of temptation, and he'll flee from you. That's what James is saying. But notice what happens next. Just like it's supposed to, verse 11, the devil left him. Luke tells us he left him for a more opportune time. means I'll be back. Matthew tells us the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. He was victorious in facing the testing and the temptation. Remember how he did it? With the word of God. Apply, do you want to be victorious in facing temptation? Apply the same principles that he used. Jesus recognized Satan's attempt to misidentify him. He recognized Satan's misquotation of the word of God. He recognized Satan's lies and deceptions. Do you? Do you recognize when Satan's tempting you? Do you recognize when there's lies, when you're believing lies? Each time Jesus responded with the word of God. That's the weapon that he used to defeat Satan. The only weapon Satan has against you is deception. Think about it. The only thing he can do is deceive you into believing something that's not true. That's it. And the way that's combated is with the word of God. It's when you stand on what is true. He will try to deceive you with your identity in Christ. He'll try to manipulate the word of God to say something that doesn't really say. He'll try to deceive you with your feelings and with your emotions. 
Oh, if God loved you, you wouldn't feel this way. If God loved you, you wouldn't be hungry. If God loved you, he'd bless you with more money. If God loved you, he wouldn't have you in this search. You wouldn't be sick. If God really cared about you, where did these things come from? From Satan himself. He's the cause of these things. When God turned the world over to mankind, it was perfect. God says, I'll redeem you from that. You see, deception is the only weapon that Satan has in the life of the believer. Well, anything else was taken care of at the cross. At the cross, any other power that Satan had against you was taken away. Listen to what Paul says in the book of Colossians. In him, that's Christ, in Christ, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised Christ from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. That's what he's done. The only weapon the enemy has against you is deception. To try to get you to believe what isn't true. Can I encourage you not to fall for it? Can I encourage you, and I know you guys do, I know we do it here, can I encourage you to take those verses that the Lord shows you, that he ministers to you, and write them, first write them on your heart, but write them down where you can find them again. Highlight them in your Bible. Circle them in your Bible. Write a little note in the beginning or the back of your Bible so you can get back to it again when he shows it to you. In these three areas, Jesus was tempted. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life that John would tell us about in 1 John. He was tempted in all three of these areas. These are the same areas that were tempted in. In all three areas, he was successful and victorious by quoting the word of God. He didn't quote it. Uh, he didn't just quote it. He understood it to be truth. He understood the power of the word of God. It wasn't just like, uh, I'm going to throw it out and see if it works. You see, he understood the power of the word of God to change the situation, to realign himself. I bet at 40 days of not eating in his human flesh, he was hungry. And he could have made bread out of rocks, but it would have been against the Father's will. It was more his desire to do the Father's will. And when he responded to put himself in line and to put Satan in line, he said, it is written. Your feelings will change, your emotions will change, your circumstances will change, your situations will change, but the word of God will not change. It will always work in every situation. You can apply it, learn it, study it, write it on your heart so you can recall it. When people come to you with problems, quote the word of God to them. You don't have to quote chapter and verse. Understand how to apply it in your life. Don't worry about, don't, don't, look, look for misapplication. If somebody's teaching something wrong, it should bring, it should bring truth. Something's wrong. That, that pastor forgot some part of it. I am, I am bothered by people who don't teach the word of God expositionally. And that doesn't mean you have to teach chapter by chapter and verse by verse like we do. Expositionally means you're exposing the meaning of the scripture. 
It really bugs me when I run across somebody who takes a verse and they sprinkle their, it on their message and gives it some, somehow gives credit to what they want to say. As a pastor, I have an obligation to teach you what the Word of God says and how to rightly apply it to your life. I believe I'll stand before the Lord on that someday. People have said to me, why don't you give your message titles? So I gave tonight's message a title. It's Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not smart enough to think of titles. I don't spend any time thinking about what I should call it. <laughs> I focus more on what it means and how to apply it in my life. And in, so I can share it with you guys in your life. You see, when we come to the word of God, we've got to get it right. Because it's the greatest weapon we have in this world, on this earth. And if we don't understand it, we don't know how to apply it, it doesn't do us any good. We're going to be deceived by Satan. But when we do understand it, and we do know how to apply it, when that temptation comes tomorrow, you can say, what Jesus quoted, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Next time your flesh wants to do something, you can quote that very verse. I don't have to give you what, it, what you want. You aren't really the one that's keeping me alive. God's keeping me alive. I don't have to fulfill the pride in my life to find the fulfillment I'm looking for I can find it in the Lord's will let God do the one let God be the one that's working in your life not you let's pray Father we thank you for your word for your hope Lord you've given us a prescription to overcome temptation Lord temptation is something we all face and you've showed us it is written Lord, now I pray that each person here would be able to add to that it is written many, many verses. So that as we leave this place, as we go back to families and work and all these things for the rest of the week, when the temptations come, we might remember it is written. It is written. And Lord, if we don't know what's written, would you help us find it? And record it and apply it to our lives. Lord, you didn't leave us with no tools to fight temptation. Instead, you wrote us a prescription for overcoming it. And you've even given us the grace when we fail. But I pray that each person here, Lord, all of us would be able to rightly apply your word of God in the right circumstance, in the right situation. Just as Jesus overcame the temptation, may we also overcome. Lord, thank you for making us victorious. Thank you for the work that you're doing in us. In Jesus' name, amen.